Welcome to episode three of the Lunchtime Layup podcast. My name is Ferris Kaff, and this podcast is going to start off with some sad news, and it's unfortunate, but according to Wikipedia, which is the most trustworthy source on the internet, Wesley, no ankles, that boy needs some milk. Johnson is a professional American, professional basketball player, I said professional twice, of the Los Angeles Slippers, and he died yesterday on a basketball court. He was a professional basketball player. He was, yes. Past tense. He is now just two broken ankles and a meme. But I hear Brandon Knight is interested in signing with the Slippers. He's Ew. had his uh, he has his career highlights overshadowed finally. Only took two there years. you go, right? There you go. I wonder how many players like okay, there's Tyron Lue who got stepped over by Al Iverson. That's like a, a moment that's like etched into everyone's memory. I can't really think off the top of my head of any other players apart from Brandon Knight that have just been like either postered or like gotten their ankles broken so many times that their life is just basically that now. It's a sad reality. Anyways, they're professional NBA players. I'm sure they'll be fine. Uh, this week's episode is gonna be a bit action packed. We're not gonna have an episode next week because we will be in Florida. But we will be back uh, the week after that. We're going to talk about the NCAA scandal. We're going to talk about Zaza breaking people. We're going to talk about Anthony Davis becoming modern Will Chamberlain and Hakeem Olajuwon, love child. Uh, we're going to talk about the bottom of the NBA standings because that's always fun. And we're going to get into some more betting. There was no betting last week because there was no action. And it was the, um, the All-Star break. So we had a mid, uh, mid-season awards show. But there's games back on now. There's more stuff to talk about. So let's start with the NCAA. Um, in case you've been living under a rock for the last, I don't know, 10 days, uh, the NCAA got caught being corrupt, which is not really a surprise to anyone who knows anything about the NCAA. But essentially, uh, there was a list of dozen players that were given money underhanded by their schools and by uh, 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 agencies to come and uh, play for their schools. So some names that might you might stick out are Dennis Smith, who got $73,000 from NC State. Uh, Markel Fultz got a cool... $10,000 from Washington University. Josh Jackson's mom, whose name is Apple Jones, got $2,700. Great name. It's top five names of all time. And there's a bunch more. There's Kyle Kuzma, there's Diamond Stone, Bam Adebayo, a bunch of names, Fred Van Vliet. Essentially, what, what's going on here is that agencies who rep players in the NBA are giving money to the schools who are then in bribing the players to pick their program. Uh, Arizona was found doing it with DeAndre Ayton, and then shortly after, Sharif O'Neal, Shaquille's son, uh, decommitted from Arizona, and their head coach, uh, Sean Miller, got in a lot of trouble with the FBI. So essentially, the NCAA is just one massive corrupt mess. And like I said, this has been big news for a while, so unless you've been living under a rock, I'm sure you've heard of it. But I just kind of wanted to get everyone's take here, so I'll start off with Thomas. Not really a surprise, but hey... NCAA being corrupt. Yeah, it's it's old news with new details, right? Um, I think the the longer it goes on, the more is going to come out. That's kind of just the way it's unfolded so far. I think the more interesting thing is what happens next, right? Because all these allegations, everything that's happened, it's all past tense, right? Like everybody knew the NCAA was in some capacity, whatever that capacity was, doing some questionable things. The details themselves don't really change the morality of it. Um, but moving forward, I uh, kind of want to know what you guys think should happen, both uh, respect to the NBA, respect to the NCAA, alternatives to uh, this, this system. Well, I think more people are going to go down the, um, the, the ball route of the just route. going off somewhere in Europe. I mean, it's a smarter thing. You get a clean check. You don't get um, put in scandals like this. And um, you get to play professional basketball in a random European country or China, like Emmanuel Moutier did a couple years back. Uh, There's a hockey example. Austin Matthews 
played uh, his draft eligible season in Switzerland, and he made I think five hundred thousand dollars. These guys could potentially just go to a random Chinese team, get like over a hundred thousand dollars, and just play basketball. And people would still, if you're good enough, you're probably still going to get drafted. I don't think, I don't think the difference between like a top five pick and like a top ten pick would be like the fact that you play in China versus playing at NC State. Yeah, it's so easy to get access to footage of players and things like that. Um, I was wondering what you guys thought about, there's an idea floated around RMBA a little bit ago where it was just making it straight up legal. So it's legal for any NCAA athlete, any sport, male, female, wherever you fall on that spectrum, uh, to receive money from agencies, not from the schools themselves, because then you'd have schools that have just straight up more money being able to buy players, and then that just continues in perpetuity, right? But agencies being able to purchase well, for lack of a better word, purchase players uh, with the thought that they would eventually sign with them should they make it to the NBA level. I think that um, that really just sort of opens up a Pandora's box because then you just have boosters from schools sending money to those agencies instead of to um, the schools themselves. Um, so I don't know that that really solves the problem. Honestly, I I think that the best course of action is is to institute a um, a rule where either you can come right out of high school or you have to stay a minimum of two years. Um, when it comes to paying players and all that, I while I strongly believe that NCAA players should be paid, the idea of a payment structure is just so complicated and where the money's coming from in comparison to who it's going to I think is is the big deal I mean um, a lot of the money is obviously generated by football and basketball um, and people always bring up you know what about the rest of the sports for the school should they get paid because they don't generate anywhere near as much revenue for the school things like that I think really complicate that conversation um, but for the meantime, I think that what they need to do is make it easier for guys that are clearly going to the NBA to get there and be able to get paid while also maintaining a solidarity in the college game, I would say, by forcing somebody to stay two or more years if you're not going straight to the NBA, because I think that that would also improve the college game in itself. Okay, so John Calipari came out two days ago, and he came up with his solution. I want to know what you guys think. And his quote is directly this. He says, quote, let them take a loan. Let their family get a loan from the Players Association. What's the problem for travel and NCAA tournaments and everything? Why? So his solution is that the players who have potential to make the NBA, they can take out a loan. It, would just, it wouldn't have to be under the rug. It wouldn't have to be hidden. It wouldn't have to be a potential scandal to make the NCAA look bad. So I want to know what you guys think of that because I think there's a lot of solutions that have a lot of pros and cons, and I think this one has some potential, but what do you guys think? I think it's just Calipari. Calipari has always been, like, about the players and about, you know, he's famous for his, like, his one-and-done strategy and all that stuff. But I honestly, like, I, I don't know how you could enforce uh, what Cam said about the two the two-year thing. I think people would just go abroad. And I think that that's the move. I think that that's the move more more draft eligible players should be doing. Like Luka Doncic this year, he's he's playing at Real Madrid in the Euro League. He's probably making close to a million dollars legally 
100% legally. It's just his salary for playing basketball. And he's playing against men. And he's going to get better. And I guarantee you that he'll probably be one of the most NBA-ready prospects of this draft. And it was the same with Moutier. Now, obviously, Moutier didn't exactly light it up and isn't exactly a superstar now that he's in New York. He's been traded. But he went to China. He made himself some money. And he's a decent player. He's not exactly a bust. And at the, at the end of the day, like, I think that's just the play. Like, in case... Instead of getting yourself all, like, embroidered in all these scandals, like, wh- who would have been angry at DeAndre Ayton for going to Spain? Or who would have been angry at Luka Donich staying in Spain? No one's angry at Luka Donich for staying in Spain. So I think that that's the play. I don't know how you could enforce, like, the loans and all that. I just think that the NCAA is so corrupt, like, top-down, that I think the play is just going abroad. One thing that I have um, with the loans also, too, just, like, playing devil's advocate is what about busts? Or what about injuries? Because, I mean, either you work that in and sort of let them off the hook, if that's the case, if they don't end up, like if there's a reason that they don't make it to the NBA. Because, you know, if in cases like that, somebody really doesn't have the sort of opportunities usually to be able to pay back, you know, a loan that they would get, assuming that they were going to the NBA. I think part of it is if you phrase it as just a strict loan, it can get a little bit messy. Um, but if you borrow from other structures that already exist. So for example, in publishing, if you publish a book, you're given an advance against commission. So it's an advance that the publishing company pays you for the product that you're giving them. You don't outright have to pay it back, but a percentage of your earnings moving forwards goes to paying that down, right? So if it's a prospect who ends up making the NBA, they get a $10 million contract, whatever, percentages of that go to paying down, say the advance that they got for playing for whatever college program but if they decide you know two years into college hey like the NBA life isn't for me I just want to get my degree and go do something in the real world they can do that too and that's fine Uh, at the end of the day that college still invested in this player they still got content out of that player they generated revenue from a player over a course of at least four years right so it kind of there are probably ways that you can put it into place it's complicated and it's messy but there's ways of doing it transparently that could that could be good moving forwards. Yeah, and I just want to go back to what we were talking about a moment ago, and that is, um, I think if more and more players start going to Europe, I think that would actually start to become a less kind of risky path. I know a lot of people have talked about the Ball brothers going there and how big of a risk it is, how they're risking their whole future, but um, I think the league in Europe is getting better, and... Uh, someone who actually enjoys following it. There are a lot of NBA potential players in that league, and I think the competition may actually be better for uh, player development than the NCAA is. So I think if a few guys, like Luka Doncic, who's going to probably go first overall, and he really should from the way he plays over there, I think that the learning experiences that players get there and just playing with former and current professionals in this league, I think that this path might end up being the one that people end up taking naturally because... They're getting paid, which is what they want. It doesn't have to be some sort of secret. And it may actually be better for basketball as a whole. First of all, it it would just make international basketball a lot better. And it would just make these guys, you know, it just makes the whole world have basketball. And it just increases the caliber everywhere. Thoughts on the G League? Can you improve it as a developmental league? Because in hockey, you got the AHL. In Major League Baseball, you have about 86 minor leagues for each team. So is there a way of making that more of a thing in, in basketball? Because I know, I know people 
this is kind of off topic, but I know people have talked about Markel Fultz and they say, why doesn't he go to the G League to like, you know, get his feet wet and like get back into game groove? Why don't NBA teams use the G League and how can that figure into development for younger players with regards to this, um, the NCAA scandal? Like, could the G League be improved? Could the facilities be improved? Could more money be dumped into the G League in order for the players to be more developed? Um, I think the problem with the G League right now is that it kind of has a label as, like, if you're a young player and you go and play there and you're a top pick and there's something wrong with you or, like, you're going down to fix something, whereas I think that that label needs to be dropped because at the end of the day, a lot of these guys who come into the NBA, they aren't ready. Like, Markel Fultz, I know he's been injured, but he just doesn't seem NBA ready. And uh, honestly, you see a lot of guys who go down there and they get better. And just one example off the top of my head is on the Los Angeles Slippers, Clippers, <laughs> uh, Tyrone Wallace. Uh, he's a guy who is, yeah. you know, when you get a chance to be the number one option for a G League team, uh, it really allows you to improve your game and your limited touches in the NBA. They become more efficient. And he's just come into the NBA out of nowhere, and he's scoring double-figure points per game. And I think a lot of players uh, could benefit from this. Uh, you know, you see someone like Norm Powell, uh, Fred Van Vliet, DeLon Wright, all these guys – they got a chance to be the guy in the G League, and it wasn't some sort of big deal to them. Like, it wasn't, um, like, a big catastrophe that they were sent there. And if you look at the Raptors, no one really thought they'd do this because you have all five of those guys played together, the, the Raptors bench mob, and <laughs> they won a championship in the, in the D League, as it was formerly called. And now they're in the NBA doing great things. So I really don't see why more teams don't use the developmental league. I still... It sounds way better than the G League. It I'm does, sorry. doesn't it? G League is a trash name. It yeah, really is. G League sucks. The, the developmental league. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Um, that, big move. Big a, move. A lot of teams just need to use that that more and take advantage. And I think it's honestly a huge reason why the Raptors are in first place in the East is because of their use of the G League. It's That's a, fair. It's like it's a relatively new structure in the NBA, right? So I think it's going to take teams time to realize that there is an actual value to it, right? Something that you can tangibly see from hey I sent players here they got objectively better and now my team is better as a result of that uh, so I think as that happens and like you said the Raptors are just a perfect test case for it right as that continues to happen I think you'll probably see more teams buy into the idea but as for the NBA actually creating a way for them to have uh, development systems like what's in the NHL and things like that I think it would be tough to monetize um, just like the quality of basketball that you get, even at the college level. Sorry to everybody who's a college basketball fan, but like it's not good basketball most of the time. It's, it's entertaining, but exciting. not good. Yeah. It's exciting, but it's exciting because of the atmosphere, right? The atmosphere at a college game is just so much better than anything you'll ever experience. Um, and it's because people are passionate just because of the team. You don't have a lot of people who are passionate about like NBA development teams. And maybe that's just a product of it being new, but I think it would be hard to kind of get that same atmosphere and same excitement uh, in a way that you can actually profit off of so teams are going to have to just want to do it for the pure development benefits that happen and like i said we'll we'll see based on these early test cases like the raptors for how that plays out and if it actually bears fruit for teams right well one guy who doesn't need the g league this is the corniest transition i'm ever going to go with but anthony davis Anthony Davis is good at basketball. Who knew? That's a true. That is a true segue. True thing. It was a horrible segue. Really cringy, but I'm really glad I did it. Anyways, in his last ten games, Anthony Davis has just gone off. He's averaging 34 points a game. Uh, He's averaging 13 rebounds a game. Some 2.3 blocks per game. He's basically Wilt Chamberlain. 
in like the modern form. And um, I mean, last week we talked about, and I know this is a bit of a hot take, but last week we talked about uh, potential MVPs and like James Harden was our unanimous guy. We talked a bit about LeBron. If the Pelicans make it to the three seed, which they realistically could, because right now they have to ca- they have to catch San Antonio, who's spiraling down. Sorry, yeah, Minnesota, who too, so. yeah, and Minnesota who lost Jimmy Butler, and now their first option is Cat, second option is Wiggins, and they have no semblance of defensive solidity. Could if they catch a three seed and AD continues to just ab- just go off and have like fifty and seventeen games, does he walk into the conversation, Warren? Um, I think so, and right now we've seen this month. These are stats that I've honestly never seen a player put up before. And for it's, starters, it's actually only happened once um, in the last forty years. Uh, his February, so he's only the second player since Moses Malone in the last forty seasons to average thirty-five and ten for a month. So, yeah, you Anthony, don't see it. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Davis just decided, you know, what, that's not really enough. I'm going to throw in two and a half blocks and two and a half steals per game because why not? And I'm also going to shoot threes, and I'm going to do it in 38 minutes per game and take 26 shots per game and somehow not be tired. He's just been ridiculous. Like, like last night against the Spurs, I ended up catching the highlights, and he seemed to have a quiet game. And I looked at the end, and I was like, this guy just has 26 and 15, and it's like he's doing it in his sleep. And, you know, when DeMarcus Cousins got hurt, undoubtedly we knew Anthony Davis's production was going to go up because that team was a two-man team, and it became a one-man team. But... The fact that they're winning games like they are, and they've won, I believe, it's seven in a row. They're not facing the best competition, but you know what? Like they're they're winning. That's all they can really control, and they're winning pretty convincingly. And you know, it'll be interesting to see if this keeps up. We'll see how they do against the better teams. I'm still skeptical of them going forward because, you know, they haven't really had one impressive win where I said, "Wow, this is this is really something." But you can't take anything away from Anthony Davis. He's put the team on his back, uh, and. Him and Rondo have actually worked together very, very well. And I'm sure DeMarcus is jealous of the, of the chemistry those two have been developing. But uh, hopefully it encourages him to re-sign just to see how much damage these two have done. Anthony Davis beating teams kind of just feels inevitable at this point. Like when you're watching him play, uh, towards the end of the Spurs game last night, Justin Holiday decided to miss two free throws at the very end. And the second free throw, um, Davis was there and he was being boxed out by two Spurs. And he just didn't care. At all. He just it's Drew right Holiday. Him. I'm sorry. I have Drew to. Holiday? It's Drew oh. Holiday. You said Justin, and okay. I'm a former. I understand why you thought Justin would miss those. Things. Yeah, yeah, it's very understandable. Say, Anyways, carry on. Carry on. Yeah, so he, he just goes right in, and he's like doing this over seven foot players, and then of course he sinks the two free throws and they win. So maybe if they make third seed, it's possible. I'm also a little skeptical of the win streak. Uh, yes, it's seven in a row, but if you look at the last three games that they've won, they've had to come back from double digit deficits in all of them. Um, that's not really a formula that you want to stick for for consistent success because eventually you're going to get a team that just executes properly down the stretch. Uh, as much as like New Orleans should be given ab- like total credit for coming back against the Spurs last night, the Spurs also threw it away on three of the last four possessions of the game. right? So if you don't have careless turnovers like that and you face a team that's actually executing properly, that's a loss. right? And if you do that those two other games as well, those leads don't get given up, then you're no longer on a seven-game winning streak. You're on a three-game losing streak. Yeah, and I mean, just to sort of go off of that um, and to pile on a little bit more, um, a one-point win against Miami, two-point win against Milwaukee. Um, you know, there's there's definitely some close games mixed into the streak. And not only that, you know, 
they had to come back against San Antonio, and that was a team that didn't have LaMarcus Aldridge for most of the game. Yeah. Um, and no and so at, at that point, Anthony Davis is the best player on the court by far. And so they should win that game. They should beat Phoenix by, I mean, arguably more than nine. Um, Everybody should. Yeah. And, I mean, they, they should be able to beat Miami by more. And, I mean, honestly, it's um, – they're they're just lucky that they're making enough shots at this point because you see all these games in with the totals around 230 240 and that's you really have to rely on shot making if you're going to be giving up that many points a game yeah and also when it's one guy doing it if anthony davis has an off night that team just loses because they just have nothing else and he needs help like this guy's putting up historic numbers as you mentioned uh second time in 40 years we've seen a month like this and they're still barely winning games that, that like, against teams that aren't really that impressive. Like the Miami game, Dwayne Wade missed a buzzer beater. Um, Didn't miss it the other day though, which makes me really sad. Did not miss it the other day. I'm sorry, Ferris. It's all good. It was beautiful. It was vintage D. Wade. It was. That step back was it disgusting. It was proof that the universe can be okay again. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you guys remember the game against Brooklyn uh, before the All Star break, but New Orleans actually blew a 30 point lead in the second half and of course they managed did. to win it. In, in overtime so New Orleans they're winning it's it's fun to watch I love watching Anthony Davis but I have a feeling come March they've got a schedule they still got a little bit of a week one but then they have a stretch against in San Antonio again uh, against Houston then against Boston and they play Houston again that week at Cleveland OKC all over a stretch of like eight games they win those then like then we can say oh you know what Anthony Davis like Here's your MVP. Yeah, if they win, like, four or five of those, like, eight to nine games against ridiculous opposition, then I think we can start talking about it. Yeah. But right now it's just, are we chalking it up to an unsustainable hot streak that he's just putting the team on his back? Yeah, I mean, I think his play is slightly sustainable because his usage rate is, like, 40% right now without Cousins, and uh, just everything's running through him. So he's going to get the stats, but I don't know how efficient he's going to keep doing it, and I don't know how much help he's going to keep getting. I mean... He's got a Mecca Okafor starting next to him. The guy's just, <laughs> it's just funny. The guy's just suddenly there again. Like he, I love he's, it. He's been gone five years. Like, oh, Alvin Gentry, okay, you're going to start. You're going to be DeMarcus. <laughs> we'll just pretend like you're still you. But it, it's just, I don't know, Miritich, every time a team gets him on a switch, that's pretty much the goal of the offense. Like, they just have too many bad players in roles that they shouldn't be in. And I just think it's going to come crumbling down soon. But Just to talk about Okafor. Jalil Okafor got drafted, benched, traded, and then Emeka Okafor came back, ancient, and he's still better than Jalil Okafor. So, yeah. Crazy. Pretty crazy world we live in. Anyways, can they get the three seed? I think that's everyone's question. I think the top two seeds are not even, it's not even like a take at this point. It's almost objective fact that those seeds are unattainable. Minnesota lost Jimmy G. Jimmy G, what am I saying? Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Garoppolo. There you go. Yeah, Minnesota lost Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo does everything these days. Uh, San Antonio is Patty Mills and people, and they're broken now. They're hobbling over the finish line. Patty Mills and people is my favorite description of San Antonio's roster ever. <laughs> OKC is a seventh seed right now. OKC has been stumbling. They barely beat the obviously tanking Dallas Mavericks in overtime yesterday. If AD continues, not not, I don't know if another month like this is going to work, but if AD continues to go off. Can they make the three seed? Um, I think their I think their schedule their schedule schedule might 
just be too hard. I think that it's Denver's three seed to take. Um, I mean, they just have a way easier schedule. Denver has two games against the Lakers. They play the Kings. Uh, they play Memphis. They play Minnesota twice late in the season. Um, but those are really their only two really tough games. Um New Orleans, in their last nine games alone, their last nine games of the season, they have to play Houston, at Houston, at Cleveland, Oklahoma City, at Golden State, at the Clippers, and the Spurs. Um, and they play Houston a second time. Uh, they play Boston. They play San Antonio a second time. So they have a, a really tough road to get there. And I think that Denver is the only team out of those ones that are sort of within that three-game, or sorry, two-game grouping of each other um, that I think they have the best chance to to move into that third seed. And they're only they're three and a half behind the, the Timberwolves right now, um, but they're only two two games behind the Pelicans, Blazers, and Thunder. So that's they can definitely make that up with their schedule. Okay. I think, to me, I think the clear three seed is going to be the Oklahoma City Thunder. You look at their schedule... Uh, it can be summed up with the fact they're playing Phoenix twice this week. They have a very weak schedule down the stretch, and they're just too good a team to keep playing like this. I mean, this is a team preseason that had huge expectations. They won 51 games last year without Paul George and Carmelo, although you could argue that Carmelo is a reason that they've gotten a little bit worse in the standings because he has just been... Inefficient. He, he has not been wearing a hoodie. <laughs> I think he needs it. But in all seriousness, uh, Westbrook is... He's still an unbelievable player. Paul George, the guy is still getting better and better as the season goes. And I think as the playoffs come around, I've noticed something with Oklahoma is that they play up to their competition and they play down to their weaker opponents. And I think as playoffs start to come near and they start to get desperate to fight for home court, I think we're going to start to see them play more complete basketball than we've seen this year. And I know they got killed by Golden State uh, the other night. But that game was close midway through the third quarter, and then Zaza happened, and then the game just fell apart. Um, but they've beaten them twice this year pretty convincingly. They've had a lot of big wins. They went into Cleveland, although that was during that horrible streak with Isaiah Thomas and all those guys, and they just beat Cleveland by, like, 35. So Oklahoma's ceiling, I think, is by far the highest of all these teams, uh, middling in the pack in the West. and. Obviously, if the Spurs had Kawhi Leonard or LaMarcus Aldridge, which they don't, I'm so sorry, So when Thomas. Kawhi comes back in March, ah, the family gets back together. Yeah, I'm sorry. I see your face dropping every time I say <laughs> the Spurs. It's been a tough year for you. But, hey, uh, try being a Phoenix Suns fan or something. But, oh, those exist? Uh, yeah, they do, actually. There's I more than Pistons fans. Oh. oh. Yeah. Anyway, I don't think Oklahoma City can get that three seed without Roberson. I think he's yeah, so key probably. to how they play. I think he's so crucial. Like, as you're just like their defense is completely tanked since he's gone, and now their only re- like legitimate perimeter defensive player is Paul George. Like, Terrence Ferguson is a rookie; he's being asked to do way too much. Russell Westbrook does not really care about defense, and I can hardly blame him. Carmelo is Carmelo, so now you, your two options realistically are a switch on Stephen Adams, which is not a very like promising idea, or just ISOs on on Paul George. I was of the idea that they could honestly have beaten Golden State with their full strength full strength roster this year. I think if Melo like finally learned how to properly play off ball and be Olympic Melo this year and Roberson and Paul George's ridiculous length and on top of that Steven Adams' paint presence, I think they could have, but no Roberson. Now you've just got Paul George doing way too much on the defensive end and still being really good on the offensive end. 
I don't think that they can get that three seed. If I can throw a name in the hat, I kind of like Portland's chances, but I, I'm also inclined to just say Minnesota might just stay there, might just hold even without Jimmy Butler. I think that if Wiggins, who I'm not a huge fan of, can step up, and if Cat can continue to just roll out of bed and drop double doubles, I think that they could potentially hang on to the three seed. Now that's not to say they'll make it, they'll do any damage in the playoffs because their team is going to be dead tired because Thibodeau doesn't rest his players at all. And they don't have Butler, so they won't have any like strength on the perimeter in defense. But I think for the rest of this regular season, for the last two dozen games, I think that they could maybe just hang on. Or my other dark horse pick is uh, Portland, like I said earlier. The only reason I don't really think that Portland uh, will, will be able to do it is they have a pretty tough schedule um, – over the next little while, they play Minnesota, Golden State, Cleveland, uh, Houston, Boston, at OKC. And then their last five games of the season, so like coming into that, that crucial playoff stretch, they play five games in eight days, and four of them are on the road. So that's a tough way to end the season at Dallas, at Houston, at San Antonio, at Denver, and then home for Utah to end the year. So that's, that's definitely going to be obviously when they when they make or miss but that's going to be a really tough stretch i think for them okay guys so i have a question so with the race for third there's also going to be two teams in this pack and i think all all uh, all seven of these teams are pretty good teams but two of them are going to miss the playoffs between utah la denver okc portland new orleans san antonio and minnesota that's eight sorry i can't do math <laughs> but two of these teams are going to miss the playoffs and Right now, Utah's on the outside looking in, as are the Clippers, but I really liked how the Clippers have been playing lately. I know that they lost a man last night, and it was very tough for their fans to watch. Russ okay. Johnson uh, put in no body bag. But, out. but, like, the Clippers, they're 7-3 and three since trading Blake, and they've been playing really good basketball, and they're a deep team as well. And Avery Bradley will, will be back in a week, and he looked good in his limited time there. So I don't know. I feel like I want to believe they're going to make it, but someone has to fall out of this race, and... I just can't decide who it's going to be. So who do you guys think is going to be on the outside looking in come to the end of the season? Well, if I may, I don't think the standings will change. I think that the eight that we have now in the Western Conference playoff picture are the eight that we're going to have. Seeding will be different. I do think Oklahoma City will pull up their pull up their boots and probably finish at the four or five seed. I think the Pelicans will drop off a little bit. I think the Trailblazers at the six seed looks fine to me. I, I think, if anything, Denver might move up a seed or two and San Antonio might slip down to like the six or seven seed. Which is kind of a hot take, but is it really? Because they have, like, no one. Like I said, it's Patty Mills and people. Like, DeJounte Murray is doing basketball stuff. And, like, Tony Parker's hobbling up and down the court. Same with Manu Ginobili. Like, we love Manu, these guys. Manu Benjamin Button last and night, though. Yeah, we love these guys. But can Benjamin can he Benjamin Button for an entire 24 games being the, basically the number one option on offense? Probably not. Probably not. So I think that a sixth or seventh seed, just because pop, is going to happen for the Spurs. And I think that there could be some seeding, like, well, arrangements. And then Kawhi comes back in March. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is good in the world again. I think the eight that we have right now is the eight that we're going to have at the end of the season. I don't know about you guys. Thomas is going to rip my head off for talking about the Spurs like that, but that's that's my take. That's where I got this going. No, I just mostly don't like this conversation because if we look at it objectively, it's the Spurs that are going to fall out of this playoff race, and I don't like that sentence one bit. So I'm going to go with what you said and say that, and nothing changes. Uh, honestly, yeah. I'll Maybe I'm seeing this from an outsider's point, and you're a Spurs fan. You've had a lot of tough games to watch this year. But I, I really think they're going to be fine. 
I think at the end of the year, though, the only risk is that Popovich loves to rest people, and even though he rests people seemingly every other game, I think somehow Pau Gasol and LaMarcus Aldridge will be resting, and we will get to see King Joffrey Laverne playing for 30 minutes a game. There was too much of that last night. Yeah, I mean, all that matters, though, I think if, if there is any hope that Kawhi Leonard will be back for the playoffs, and... Oh, by the way, just to backtrack, LaMarcus Aldridge, apparently, it's just a very minor thing, and they could have brought yeah, him back. Yeah, a precaution. So uh, I think the Spurs will stay near where they are. They are still still have a very good point differential compared to the other teams, and Minnesota's is nice, but uh, don't forget Jimmy Butler is out, so that definitely will skew that. This was not a playoff team until, until Jimmy Butler got there. So I think it's wide open, and it's nice that we can have this conversation about the NBA for once, a little bit of parody, although it's, we're still ignoring the top two teams. <laughs> we just know they're going to be there. But uh, the West is pretty interesting, and I kind of enjoy all ten teams that are in this race, or all eight teams for the final uh, two spots, but or the final six spots, but I don't know. I kind of wish they could all just make the playoffs and we wouldn't have to watch like, Miami make the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just trade conferences? <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't really have any any hot takes on the Spurs. I, I think that Pop will manage to do what Pop does, and he'll at least keep them afloat. I don't see them suddenly, you know, dropping to the eighth seed. I could see them falling to to five or six, but I'm, that's I'm not going to argue that opinion. I love you all. <laughs> that's it. How much time are we spending on Zaza? How much time is necessary to spend on Zaza? I have all day here. Okay, so well, I'm, again. I'm torn on Zaza because, like, as somebody who grew up a fan of the San Antonio Spurs, we had Bruce Bowen, and, like, Bruce Bowen just straight up kicked Murder. a man in yeah. the skull. And when that happened, it was like, okay, that's a bad thing, but I'm also happy that it happened. So <coughs> it's, it's conflicting because Zaza's a terrible human, and he hurt my Kawhi and ruined My any Kawhi. chance <laughs> any chance of, uh, of that series ending in the five games that it would have but i don't know i warren's warren's giving me some looks so i'm, I'm, I'm gonna play i'm gonna play devil's avocado here devil's avocado i'm gonna be the devil's avocado okay well is zaza just a is zaza just a clumsy oaf no you don't think He's zaza like a calculated clumsy oaf you think so you know who else yeah. is a clumsy oaf Jonas valanciunas and how many people has he injured <laughs> Zaza just finds a way. He plays ten minutes a game, and every year there is a Zaza game. I mean, every month. The, like, yeah, where there's smoke, there's fire. Eventually, I mean, even this most recent one with Restbrook, you sort of like see him look down, and then he like falls. Like, His foot got it, it did not. Come on, <laughs> you're you're if you're athletic enough to be an NBA player, you can you can keep your balance. Like, or like yeah, you could I, put your arms forwards and brace your fall. I, I don't know, instead man. of collapsing it's like, on another th- human. This is this is completely different to me than when people were making a big fuss about Delvadova a couple of years ago, and when when he was on the Cavs and he injured a couple players in a playoff run. Those to me were a lot more like just hustle plays. Zazas are. Uh, weird to the point where there's there can only be so many accidents with a single player it's not it's it's not just wrong place wrong time this many times every single time yeah yeah i mean there are 10 minute youtube compilations of this guy injuring people and i mean last last game against golden state he was standing there or sorry against okc thanks for the looks you got Uh, it (laughs) He was standing there, and Nick Young's foot latched onto him, and suddenly he just flailed forward. I mean, this stuff happens way too often with him, and I know he's clumsy, and he is clumsy, 
but he also, you know, he's an NBA player. He's played at all levels. He, you know, he can avoid these injuries, and I know that they're happening, and I know that this guy, there's something wrong with him in his head because he's just always in the center of these things, and like you said, when there's smoke, there's fire, and, and this guy is trying to hurt people. All right, well, I'm going to stop playing devil's avocado because I, I actually agree with you. I think that I don't think necessarily that when it was happening, he was like, I'm going to injure. But I do think <laughs> that like best voice. impersonation. But I do think that, like, he bad. saw what was happening and he was like, I'm just not going to stop. Like, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to like fix this. Like, whatever happens, happens. Let me just have my six foot, ten, seven foot body just fall on Westbrook's knee. Like, that could have been way worse than it was. And Westbrook was rightfully angry at the post-game interviews. And, like, that was just classic Westbrook turning turning on reporters. But at the end of the day, like you guys said, where there's smoke, there's fire. I was just playing devil's advocate. I honestly, I hope Zaza, like, stubs his toe really bad a couple times a day. Like, it wouldn't make me mad if he, like, slipped in the shower once. Yeah. And can I ask you guys a question? Is Go Greg for it. Popovich ever wrong? The answer is no. And therefore, okay, maybe sometimes. No, 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 no. Keep <laughs> going. Never wrong. Never wrong. <laughs> Last year, Greg Popovich went on an epic rant after Zaza injured Kawhi Leonard on purpose with his closeout. I don't know if he injured him on purpose, but he didn't get his body out of the way on that closeout. Yeah, is he it? Knew what he was doing. Is it more of a case of just being ignorant instead of being purposefully? It's willfully ignorant. But there you go. That's a good one. That's yeah. a good shout. He, he knows. He knows what he's doing. He's like, I'm gonna put my foot here. I'm not trying to hurt him. But if he lands on my foot, you know, so yeah, be it's, it. It's like if you're you're driving a car and you just accidentally drive into a person. That's an accident, but you still killed somebody. If you just like close your eyes, and then you drive into somebody, it's willfully making yourself causing an accident but you're still killing somebody at the end of it did this so, thought organically pop into your yeah. head yeah <laughs> well because zazzo's a bad man <laughs> this took a really weird turn thomas has had months to stew about that injury yeah it's oh yeah he has that's, that's fair that's fair that's fair so are we conclusion zaza bad man i could yes. talk about it for 20 more minutes but we should move on we should move on because we've got something really interesting to talk about the tank wars yay those teams should trade for zaza yes <laughs> probably atlanta Yes. Bring him back. Bring him back. M7, baby. <laughs> so Sacramento is at the, I believe, holding the first round pick in a tie with the Orlando Magic. They are the two best of the worst. Uh, Atlanta's in there. Memphis is in there. Phoenix won games somehow since they got Alfred Payton. Dallas is still trash. Uh, Brooklyn is Brooklyn. Chicago, Loki has 20 wins, but like I feel like if they lose like half of the remaining games, they might not even get like a top five pick just because of the, how bad the rest of the top five is. And, um, again, getting kind of late on this, catching up, but the Mark Cuban fine talking about tanking sparked a conversation about tanking in the NBA and people wanting to find ways to stop it. First of all, if you agree with Stan Van Gundy's wheel idea, you should not agree with it and you should get your head checked because that idea is horrifically stupid. The idea of getting each team getting a first-round pick for the next 30 years – a first overall pick, stupid, unbelievably stupid. And I've just, I've, my opinion is just get do away with the lottery. But do you guys think there's a tanking epidemic in the NBA? Do you think it's that bad? I think that it's, um, it's mostly a, a this year's draft sort of thing. I mean, while we did see it with uh, Philly, obviously, with the whole trust the process, um, I think that you know the because of how strong this year's draft class is and the top five and really even the top seven being uh very strong in the eyes of nba scouts i think that it's it's prompting it a lot more um and i mean just teams are bad you know the the relocation of talent 
really has affected some teams, like the Bulls. I mean, you take Jimmy Butler off that team, and, you know, now they're in the lottery. And so, I mean, they're one of those teams where it just makes the most sense for them to try and hit the reset button. Um, What I think is the easiest remedy to it, and I'm sure that someone else has brought this up, and that's why it's in my head, is just to give everyone an equal shot at the pick, whether you finish ninth or last and i mean yeah that does sort of create an issue of parity because if the team that comes in ninth gets the first overall pick then obviously they're going to be a lot better but i mean is the lottery system really any better when you know the Cavs, one of their number one picks they had like a three percent chance of getting i don't know if it was wiggins or or uh, bennett but it might have been Kyrie. there you go they had a 3% chance of, of getting the number one pick. You know what I mean? So it's like it it can happen with the lottery system anyways. I don't like that system personally. I don't necessarily agree with that because I don't want I don't want the Pistons to miss the playoffs by like two games and then get like DeAndre Ayton or uh, Luka Doncic. I don't really think that that's a fair way of doing it. I personally think the lottery, the lottery is incredibly trivial and childish and the whole tanking thing is like really like overblown. I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as people make it out to be because like apart from okay, maybe apart from Sacramento and Memphis all or and Atlanta to be fair, most of these bottom teams I have a reason to watch them. Like I would go out of my way to watch Devin Booker. I would go out of my way to watch Aaron Gordon. I I would go out of my way to watch Zach Levine, also known as Kobe, Laurie Markkinen, also known as Dirk, and the Chicago Bulls, who are basically the 2007 Western All Star team. I like I would go out of my way to do these things. I don't I don't personally care for much about Sacramento, but even then, I'd like to watch Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox, and Bogdan every now and then. Well, like if, if I have nothing Mike else Conley's to do. Healthy, you got a reason to watch Memphis. As there well, you go. Right. So and like I think that the whole tanking thing is way overblown. Like I do think that. Mark Cuban probably shouldn't have said what he said just from a pure like competitive like competitive standpoint like his his players are probably just kind of pissed off that he said that but I, I don't I don't think that there's a we don't need to reinvent the wheel here like I don't think I don't think no the lottery needs to change I think if the lottery does change it should just be like canceled like should there should be no lottery because the worst team should get the best options at getting better that's just how it works and if you want to lose on purpose hey that's your prerogative like that's up to you like, yeah, it hurts the competitiveness of the league, but realistically, there's, like, maybe one or two, three maybe teams in the history of the NBA that have been blatant about losing on purpose. I don't think it's anywhere near as much of a problem as people want it to be. I think teams are just bad this year. Go ahead, Cam. So you basically just want it to be the NFL system okay. where it's just ranked that yeah, way? Yeah, basically just the NFL system. There's no point in complicating things with the draft lottery. And, like... Like, with all these pick protections and stuff, you got to wait for the lot. Like, the Lakers got the second overall pick, like, three years in a row. And as a, as a Sixers fan, I kept hoping they would drop out of the top three so that the Sixers could get that pick so it could convey. Uh, the Sixers ended up trading away the rights to that pick to the Celtics in the uh, Markel Fultz-Jason Tatum swap. But, like, I think that the lottery is childish. I personally don't see anything, any gain in that the lottery does. Like... Like he meant, like Cam mentioned, like how many times did Cleveland win the lottery with like the tenth or eleventh best odds? Like, does that really help anyone? Because now teams that were bad then are still bad now, like Sacramento. Because instead of getting a top two pick like a Kyrie or an Andrew Wiggins, they all the way down and got a Ben McLemore and Nick Stauskas. 
So I don't think that the lottery needs to happen. I think that if they just did away with it, that there would be no problems. That's just my take. Well, that's Sacramento's fault. It's like it is Sacramento's fault, but they weren't helped. Sure, but that are, at the sorry. same time, um, it's really ruining the integrity of the league. Like we're already seeing teams starting to arrest people. Like I know Robin Lopez is speaking of clumsy players. <laughs> uh, I know Robin Lopez is already like not a big deal, but they're already resting him to play Cristiano Felicio, who is undersized, can't jump, and every game that Chicago has played since uh, a big man has just absolutely dominated them inside so like it's clear these teams are developing but also trying to lose at the same time and you know with this log jam of teams at the bottom it really hurts at the end of the season when there's teams let's say like the Clippers or the Nuggets who are fighting for their playoff lives and they have to cheer for a G League team to beat another NBA team in order for them to make the playoffs I think it's just ridiculous that teams get rewarded for trying to lose and I also you know, more times than not, it doesn't even help the franchise progress forward. So, personally, I think that teams, I don't know if you remember the Lakers a few years ago, they won like five games in a row to end the season, and it almost cost them their lottery-protected pick, and that shouldn't be a thing. You shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't be harming these players who are working hard, and you shouldn't be hurting teams for trying to win. I think that every team that misses the playoffs should have equal odds at the first overall pick, because, you know, at the end of the day, the Kings are always going to be the Kings. They have bad management, and I don't think they deserve third, fourth, and fifth chances just because they've been incompetent. Like I think a team like the L.A. Clippers, I like what I'm seeing. They didn't trade their whole team at the deadline. They're trying to make the playoffs. They're trying to win. They, they're making NBA games competitive, and why should they be penalized for trying to win games if they're just not quite good enough to make the eighth seed? Well, they're not being penalized. Well, they are, because like, now they're going to get a mid-first-round pick. Well, they have two. They can trade up. They have assets. Well, sure. They can be smart. In a hypothetical situation, a team that, that is trying to make the playoffs shouldn't be, oh, well, you'll get a mid-first-round pick now. because. Well, yeah. It shouldn't be half the league trying to lose at the end of I the season. I don't think it is half the league trying to lose. I think it's half oh, the league. I think it's half the league that is like, okay, if we lose, who cares? I think that the bull. I don't think that the Bulls are outwardly like. For example, if we take the Bulls, I don't think that they're like going out of their way to try to lose. I think that they're playing their young players, they're giving their young guys reps, and if they lose, so be it. Like when Bobby Portis went off for forty against the Sixers in the last game, I don't think that the GM was upstairs counting and being like, "Bobby Portis, stop score. I don't stop scoring. I don't want to win this game. I want us to get a better odd." I don't think that that's what happened. I think that they assessed the situation and they knew that tanking and getting better, well, not necessarily tanking, just rebuilding, retooling assets will make them better in the future. What's better now, getting what the Bulls had last year of losing in the first round with Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and Rajon Rondo, or t- trading Butler and getting three potential core pieces back in Levine, Markinen, and Chris Dunn, and another young player in this draft, and potentially more in future drafts? I would rather have the second option if I knew my team wasn't going anywhere, which the Bulls were not, as an example. Well, they could have if Rondo didn't get hurt. They could have, and that's another what if. But then, again, are they going to win the second round? Like, our, well, like, the goal here is to win a championship, not to win a round. Yes, it is, but I don't think teams should be penalized for trying to win, even if they don't have the best roster, because that leads to this problem that we have where there's three or four teams at the top of the standings, and, you know, everyone else is like, well, we can't beat Golden State, we can't beat Houston, we may as well blow it up. And that's been the trend going on in the league, and it, it's just, I, I just don't like watching it. I don't like watching the Memphis Grizzlies playing Jarrell Martin for 42 minutes last night. I don't enjoy watching, you know, Dylan Brooks. He's an okay prospect, but I don't enjoy watching these guys in their role. You know, they're going to go out. They're trying to lose games, and Marcus Gasol's frustrated. And 
I understand his frustration, but at the same time, Marcus All is dumb. But he is dumb because the system is dumb. And the system is like rewarding them for trying to lose. So a professional like him, like I enjoy watching him, but you know, I think regular season basketball still has some sort of value and it shouldn't be just thrown away like the way it is. Well, I just to sort of add on to the whole every team getting the same odds, while I understand your point about say if the Pistons if that happened to the Pistons, but at the same time, I also think that what that would do is create maybe not in the case of the Pistons an automatic another contender but if that did happen to a nine seed team that was on the brink of the playoffs that got a number one overall pick they could move into much closer to championship contention and so I think that that in a way also helps the league because it not creates parity in itself but it it at least gives the aura of parity and it at least creates excitement going into the season instead of just okay who's going to make the finals this year how do the other teams get better now? The teams at the bottom. Be smart? Yeah, hire competent people. I mean, you can't just ask someone to be smart. Like, if they're not... Well, like, their own fault. It is, it is obviously their own fault. And I'm not, I'm, I feel bad that I'm defending Vlade Divac. But at the yeah. same time, like, what is he expected to do when, like, teams like, I don't know, the Clippers just vault up into the first space, into the first spot, even though they missed the playoffs on the last day of the season? But that's the thing is that at the end of the day, it's it's up to the scouting to to make those picks. And at the end of the day, the Kings haven't done that regardless of where they've been. So I don't really think that you can blame that on the system. I think that, yeah, you know, it's it's an organization's issue as much as it is the the league itself. Right. But then, for example, what what do like I, I guess my, my I guess my question here is that these teams are bad. They are bad because they don't have good players. You need to let you need to facilitate bad teams to getting better so that it like works in a cycle. Sports are cyclical. The Warriors were garbage for so many years, but then they drafted Klay Thompson high. They drafted Steph Curry high. They hit a home run on Draymond Green in the second round. But the thing is, is that those two those first two picks were both lottery picks. Yes, they were lower lottery picks. I think they was seventh for Curry and ninth for Klay Thompson, and that teams like the Kings and Orlando don't do that because they do that once and then they trade the guy the next year and that's their own fault but at the same time if the Pistons every year missed it in the ninth seed and got the first pick then people would just be angry because now the bad teams don't have any avenue of getting better immediately so I want to pass it to Thomas because he's been itching to say something so go ahead Thomas there's there's kind of a lot of levels to this overall discussion that you really have to parse through uh, to make sure everybody's on the same page. Well, there's, like, there's an objective difference between tanking, so purposefully making yourself worse on a player-by-player -player level across your roster to, uh, to lose games or uh, intentionally putting bad systems in place to not maximally utilize your players and actually developing players. Right? There's a difference even between just throwing a guy out there in a bad system and being like, hey, you get to handle the ball, you get reps. That counts as player development and actually putting that player in a position where they can improve within the system. So the difference between tanking and development, I think that has to be something you've got to be aware of during it. And also, it isn't every team's goal to win a championship. At the end of the day, they're businesses. Their goal is to be profitable, right? Profit can happen with playoff revenue just by being an eight seed, right? The, the nature of the NBA is that, really, if you look back, the teams with the best players are the player or the teams that are going to contend and that's just the way that it is you're going to have between one and four teams that are true title contenders in a given year it's not the nhl you can't be an eighth seed and win like that just doesn't happen historically that has never happened and with so much of the uh, 
the wins and losses in the league coming down to who has the best player on the court at any given time, it's probably not going to happen. There just aren't enough iconic and truly dominant players for, say, Sacramento to go one-on-one against Golden State in a series, right? It's just not going to happen. Part of that is what Cam was talking about earlier with player movement too, right? Uh, Since, kind of pioneered by LeBron, but players having much more say in where they end up, going to places that are stable organizations, well-run organizations, even just teaming up with players that they want to play with, right? When you have players dictating that, you are going to have teams that aren't going to have great rosters just because people are going to go where they want to play, right? And when you only have, say, 20, 25 players in the league that are truly impactful players and they decide to not all play on different teams, you're going to have somewhere between 8 and 10 teams on any given year that just aren't going to be good because they're not going to have the best players on any given night. And, I mean, sort of also, too, I think that I I definitely do think that this is just sort of a um it's a product of the process obviously but i i think that it's definitely sort of magnified this year because of how strong the draft is i think that this is um sort of been a a well-established high class draft um and so i think that that's sort of what's gotten us into pure tank mode um i definitely agree with what you're saying thomas and i think that um it's usually fairly obvious when teams aren't doing it for developmental reasons. Um, I actually heard Windhurst talking about, um, I think he was on Zach Lowe's podcast the other day. He was talking about teams that are actually using reverse analytics. So they'll put a lineup out that will look to be decent, but they have the advanced analytics that show that it's actually the worst lineup that they could put out there. So even when teams aren't outright sitting players they're still utilizing ways to effectively make themselves worse which is like when it gets to that point that to me is when it's like okay like warren was saying it it ruins the integrity of the game and it it it, i mean it it doesn't change how you should look at like records and things like that but i mean it's something that you have to take into account if you know a guy drops 55 against a team that's playing it's 10 through 14 guys instead of it's starting five. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just going back to the whole integrity thing. I remember last year in the last, in the last three games of the season, Miami had to win out to make the playoffs. And this is Miami, a nine seed at the time. They were 15 point favorites in all three games because they were playing tanking teams and that's just a huge problem. You like the end of the season there's so much potential for excitement and if teams were just trying to win the whole year, it would just be a lot better to watch and sure some teams would start developing their young players, but there'd be more desperation to win, put the right combos of players out there. And even when a team gets uh you know all these top picks, like look at the Lakers, like they've drafted Randall, Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, Ingram. They're 26 and 34. They're now mediocre. And wouldn't it be exciting if they won a a lottery and and got a top three pick? Like, why should they be, like, they're trying to develop. They're trying to win games. They're just not good enough yet. But, like, it would create more parity in the league if there were, like, a few more teams, like, close but no cigar and they got another big prospect. Like, the Kings, they've had their chances. Yeah, but the Lakers have won the lottery three years in a row. They were the second pick three years in a row. Yeah, I'm aware. But I'm saying, like, they shouldn't be excluded from, okay, maybe that's a bad example, but, like, you were saying earlier how the Kings, uh, 
how the, the system's not fair to them. They've had... I'm not saying the system's not fair to them. I'm saying I understand why they're doing what they're doing. I know, but they've had top 10 picks six years in a row, and they've screwed all of them up. And the one they didn't screw up was DeMarcus Cousins, and they traded him for Buddy Heald, because why not? <laughs> right, but then at the same time, in the summer, they had Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox, Bogdan, and a couple other young players. And what did they do? They signed Hill. They signed Vince Carter, and they signed Zach Randolph, three veteran players to help their young players develop. They're just not a good team. Yeah, they're not, but, like, why should they Why should they keep getting these chances? Because they're a bad team. Like, they're not trying to be bad. They are just bad. Well, it's their own fault that they're bad. They well, should, you're, but then I you're don't basic, think you should be re- rewarded for incompetence. I then think. you're basically asking teams to be way smarter than they can be. Like, you're asking, like for example, Memphis, Mike Conley and Marcus All, two mm-hmm. franchise-altering players that were late picks. Yeah. That's lightning in a bottle. That does not happen. It well, very rarely happens. Well, with, with scouting, you can always find good picks. Yeah, with scouting, you could always find good picks, but most good prospects are at the top okay. of the draft. So I understand that, but is it worth spoon-feeding these bad organizations good picks uh, as a sacrifice for the integrity? You're not, you're not spoon-feeding them. You're giving them the opportunity. Yeah, you are. But like at the same time, do you want games in April where teams are fighting for the playoffs and games in March and they're playing G League rosters? Is that something that you enjoy watching? No, I don't enjoy watching that, but at the same time, it's not. I understand why those teams take that decision, and the system is built for that to be taken advantage of. Like, that's how the system is built. If you want to change the system to a lottery spot, like an even lottery spot for every team, then the, uh, the bad teams that are, like all, that are already bad are, ha- are going to have no avenue of getting better in any way, shape, or form. No one wants to play in Orlando. No one wants to play in Memphis. These teams have to, these teams have to draft their own talent. And by drafting their own talent, you ch- genuinely get most better players at the top than in the second round or in the late first round or in the late lottery. So if you're basically asking, for example, let's say Detroit wins the lottery this year, and now Memphis slides to, I don't know, the 12th pick. You're asking Memphis, yeah, here's the worst season probably in your last 10 years of your franchise. Here's the 12th pick. Figure it out. No one wants to play in Memphis, by the way. Go ahead. Try and figure it out. Like, you can't draft, ten, you can't draft five Donovan Mitchells. I understand that, but, like, at the same time, that's just how it goes. Like, I don't think that. That's teams, just a shitty excuse, in my opinion. I, I just don't think teams that are trying to slide into the playoffs should be penalized for that. Oh, I don't think they should be, and I don't think they are. Well, they are because they're they're now like, like the the Lakers, the Clippers, Utah. Like, what if Utah decided to rest all their veterans, rest Rudy Gobert, rest Derek Favors? They could add a top pick. They could add a Donkic with Donovan Mitchell. They could why didn't they do that? Well, why should why should why is that something we want? Why do we? It's want not something we want, but it's a, it's an enticing idea, isn't it? It so is, but the, it shouldn't be the a middle ground between what you're talking about. Then would be something along the lines of flattening lottery odds, or just canceling the lottery in general. You can't, but that's not that's not compromising, right? That's not <laughs> that's, that's not fine. That's, that's, a, like that's a fair point. Definitely not finding middle ground by just saying, well, you could do that, or you could do what I said to do instead, right? So the middle ground would be to flatten the odds the odds in some way, so that. If you're the worst team, you still have a slightly better chance of getting a top pick um, less incentivized than it is now. Uh, And conversely, if you are that team that missed the 8th seed by half a game, last game of the season type of thing, you also still have a a notable chance at getting a high pick out of the draft. I think more people are going to be inclined to play it for the Clippers who just missed the playoffs than the Grizzlies. And that's not because of tanking. That's just because of Memphis versus L.A. Like, the small market yeah. teams have no chances if you're if in, I mean, in this that's scenario. that's not going to change, though, right? That's a, it that's could a change. In this thing. system, it could, because if Memphis wins the lottery this year, being the third or fourth worst team, they could get a franchise-changing player. But if they were a tenth seed, 
and they didn't do it and nothing happened, or even if the Pistons won the lottery as a nine seed, then you're kind of screwing over the Grizzlies and teams like that. Like, for example, last year, I think we all agreed that the Pacers were going to go into a full rebuild after trading away Paul George. It took Victor Oladipo becoming a first-team all-star player for them to become good. That's not sustainable. Not every team is going to be able to do that. And I understand that teams like Indiana, uh, Houston before James Harden, and now the Clippers are interesting, and that's a, a very good way of team building, which is trading off old players, accumulating assets, and then like seeing where it goes, which is kind of what the Raptors did too. And that's an enticing thing, but I just don't think that <clears throat> I don't think that tanking has like this is this wide epidemic problem. That's just personally my take, but I think I'm biased as a Sixers fan who is experienced with the the subject of tanking. I kind of this I just kind of want to wrap up this subject. I don't want to talk about it for ages. But I am a soccer guy. That's my that's another sport of mine that I thoroughly enjoy and follow. In soccer, you have something called academies. So there's no draft. So essentially what it is is that kids get to play for any team's academy and then gradually move up and play for the senior team. How would that work in the NBA? How does it get determined what academy they play for? You, the team signs them. Like the, the team will scout like a 12-year-old and be like, oh, you're good, come play for us. So the downside to that, there's a lot more money in professional soccer than no, in, not that in professional basketball I don't think professional basketball is like one of the most lucrative businesses even though like soccer is kind of like there's the rich yeah. and then there's like the filthy poor like so there's got, no real middle that ground same, that same breakdown in the NBA though right you would have the Lakers buying literally every prospect right but then there's no available. there's no way that the like there's no way that the Lakers would know because these kids are 12 years old like there's some kid who could play at a, at a YMCA the gym in Memphis that's the point, who right? the Grizzlies the Lakers, could Lakers wouldn't care if somebody fair. showed remote remote talent which is going to be available because if this is a system in place you're going to have 12 year olds putting up youtube videos saying hey look here's my so dribbles right like it's going to be accessible and you'll have a team like the lakers who it doesn't matter if they just keep throwing money at players like this whereas a team like memphis i feel kind of bad that we're bullying memphis so much <laughs> so i'm, I'm yeah. going to bully atlanta instead <laughs> so if you have a team like atlanta uh they're they're going to have to be more prudent in what they're what they're throwing money at Right, because they're operating on a tighter budget. They don't have infinite money like a team like the Lakers has. Right, but it would be my main... I'm going to bully Brooklyn in this situation. My main um, idea around this whole like academy situ uh, system is that a team like Brooklyn, who had probably one of the top five worst GM moves of all time, trading away all those first-round picks, have almost no avenue of like getting talent. Unless it's like a shot in the dark in the late first round or like offer sheeting mediocre players like Alan Crabb for 20 million a year or offer sheeting Tyler Johnson for 20 million a year. Like there's no realistic way for them to get better if they had a system like an academy system instead of a draft, then they could still, you know, bring up some 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 prospects. They could still like have a like a, a fresher crop of young players. It's just an idea I had and it's just mostly a soccer thing. But I'm curious to see in my, in my own head. I, I play the mental game of seeing where, how this would fit with the, um, with the way the NBA works and with the way modern North American sports work. Because this is a complete, like I said, it's 100% soccer thing. There's no such thing as a draft. Do you think there's soccer. some kind of extension of that that incorporates uh, the G League with it? So yeah, you that's have every that's, single team having yeah. a proper development team attached exactly. to them, and then 
players can go right out of exactly wherever you want to draw the line say probably the end of high school and they can go and they can be signed to those respective yeah teams i think that yeah maybe there's a way that can work if you have proper and restrictions on salaries and things like that salaries and contracts like say you like extending a contract to one of these kids these 14 15 year old kids would be count as a contract if you just had like a contract cap then the lickers couldn't literally fling a million dollars at every prospect that's fair yeah yeah, that's just a that's just a thought exercise I had in my head. Warren, do you have a take on that? No. Going to chase down, like, block me? No, I, I will not. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank like you I've for showing trying. mercy. I've been trying. Yeah, that's all good. Um, I think we covered everything. I think we're on. We're I think we're gonna wrap it up here. Let's move into making money. Uh, wrap up the NBA section. Let's talk about betting with Warren and Cam. So guys, take it away. Um. All right. So, my uh. My pick, I'm I'm almost a little bit too confident about. I uh, this is this is when I when I start to overthink and and worry myself, because I'm gonna tell you to put all your money, take every every, every single dollar, I have. every dollar that you have that you can afford to lose. Mind you, I'm not trying to have anybody <laughs> go homeless over this podcast. Uh, every dollar that you can afford to lose and take it and put it on the Brooklyn Nets money line to beat the Sacramento Kings tonight. Um, as we just talked about, the Kings are in full tank mode. They've lost five in a row. Um, they are sitting at currently the second worst record. Nope, the tied for the worst record. Um, they have the second worst point differential in the league. And Brooklyn, while they aren't a great team, they actually have something to play for because they don't have their pick. So that line started as a pick em. Um, it's now uh, the Nets minus two and a half um, at minus 140 on the money line, depending on where you're looking. Um, so that's definitely moved a bit already. And I think that it'll continue to move maybe to about three and a half or four um, by the time we get closer to game time, depending on if anyone's uh, ruled out. But I, I definitely implore you to put some money on the Brooklyn Nets money line tonight. Yeah, I never thought I'd hear that sentence. Put all your money. Yeah, put all your Brooklyn money on Brooklyn. Nets. But I do. I, I understand the bet. I'm not as confident in you, but if I had to throw money down, I'd probably agree. Uh, so I'm going to pick one game tonight. There's only four games on the schedule, uh, but I'm actually going to pick Cleveland at minus three at home against Philadelphia. I'm sorry, Ferris. That's okay. I don't think the Cle- I don't think the Sixers are going to win tonight either. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland. I mean, last week we were talking about them, and we we're almost. We we're pretty high on them coming out of the East, and since the All Star break, they've been kind of so-so. kind of meh. But like at the same time, we know what their ceiling is. They play a lot better at home, and minus three, minus two and a half—that's basically just a pick 'em. And it, I know Cleveland is not the same team, and I want to just believe that LeBron is just always going to win games. But I think at home tonight, minus three—I think you can pretty much lock that up. And there's something eerie about that line to me. I don't know what it is, and. Uh, I would have predicted this line would have been about minus six or minus seven. So keep an eye out for injury news because stuff like this often does happen um, where, let's say, someone like LeBron would be resting for a game, but I I don't anticipate that will be the case. Uh, Perhaps Vegas is just coming down on Cleveland a bit more than uh, anticipated. But minus three feels like a funny line, and it feels like a bit of a trap, especially because it hasn't been moving. But I'm just going to trust that Cleveland at home is going to take care of things there. 20, 21 and nine at home. Philly's well under five hundred on the road, and Cleveland, to me, even though they haven't been as smooth as they were in the first few games, I think that they're going to come out and win tonight. 
It's actually a move from three to two and a half, depending on where you get it. So actually some action on the 76ers coming in. Um, but as far as I can see, the only news is that Kevin Love is still out, but that's business as usual pretty much. So um, definitely keep track of uh, the injuries. And if you can go on Twitter and check out if there's starting lineups or anything like that, um, you definitely have to factor that into all your bets. Absolutely. And I just want to give one drafting pick. I always like to shout out Daily Fantasy. Um, so tonight, Miami is playing the Lakers, and Wayne Ellington and Tyler Johnson have already been ruled out, which makes a pick kind of easy for me. And I'm actually going to pick Dwayne Wade, and um, he's priced at 5000 on DraftKings, which is still pretty cheap. And, you know, last game we saw what he's capable of. And I do understand the risk here because Wade is the type of guy now where he's playing less minutes, and then in the fourth quarter, if the game is close, he just comes in and takes over. So there is some risk to this pick, but I think with Ellington and Tyler Johnson hurt, he may actually see extended minutes tonight. I know Rodney McGruder's back, but they're trying to work him in slowly, and uh, with Miami sitting at the, that eighth seed, uh, they're in kind of comfortably, but I think they're going to start to slowly romp up Wade's minutes. So I wouldn't be surprised to see 27, 28 minutes tonight, and uh, we saw last game what he's capable of, and uh, maybe more of a tournament pick, but even against New Orleans, he took 20 shots, he took 16 shots last game, so the minutes aren't that high, but I think they go up a little bit tonight, and it's a good matchup against the Lakers. Is that it for the betting segment of today? It is. If All you right. guys ever have any questions, you can message us on Twitter. Our names are in the bio. Our names will be in the bio. Also, follow our Twitter page, our official Twitter page, yes. uh, at Lunchtime Layup, I believe it is. That is it. Um, and just real quick, kind of on top of my head. Uh, we got a lot of content coming out, a lot of content coming out. Uh, we're going to Florida, like we said, uh, but we're going to be working on some things as a group, um, namely a website, um, other ways, not just an NBA website, just a heads up. It'll be all sports. Uh, so the MLB season coming up, the NFL draft, the NBA draft, the NHL draft, the playoffs, uh, the FIFA World Cup. There's a bunch of stuff going on, so we're going to have a lot of content coming up on that website. Uh, we will tweet out an official link uh, when it comes out. We are still in the development stages of creating the website, but just know that there is a lot of... We're planning big moves, big moves, and business is going to be booming. Huh. Cloth talk. Anyways, thank you for tuning in to episode three of the Lunchtime Layout. My name is Ferris Kaff. I was joined by Thomas Ketko, Warren Kasoy, and Cameron Newell, and we'll catch you next week. Or two weeks from now, actually. Sorry, two weeks from now. Take care. That's it.